aren't sure you're saved, uh, there's a lot of us who'd love to pray with you today, and we could get that uh, certainly get that straightened out. So we're going to look at getting beyond those things. This is number 12 of 12. Next week, we're going to start on a verse-by-verse, five-week journey through the book of Lamentations. And the theme of the book is, it's never wrong to cry out to God. And it is a beautiful book. I never realized how beautiful a book it was, but I'm on the translation team for the Passion Translation. We just finished our work on that. And uh, it's absolutely, absolutely beautiful. So I'm going to be your tour guide through this book that uh, tells us about how to lament and how lamenting is a normal part of the Christian life. So today, though, we're going to talk about being grateful in spite of suffering. We talked about overcoming, uh, nevertheless, kind of faith. I'm going to test you. Where in the Bible do you think this next slide is from. Go ahead and put that one up. Next slide. Go ahead and put that one up. Next one after this. And the next one after that. There we go. Where in the Bible do we find this? Said no one ever in the Bible. That is correct. That is not in the Bible at all. This is something which people think is in the Bible. There's a lot of things that people think are in the Bible. In fact, I'm doing a little daily teaching series right now on things that you thought were in the Bible but aren't. And I'm getting a lot of pushback up from people who say, yes, those things are in there. I know it. I w- I've known this my whole life. I'm saying, um, really? Uh, we'll search the scriptures and they're not there. We, we add so much on to the Bible. And it's important that we go back to what the Bible really says. And the next slide is what the Bible actually says. Go ahead and turn to that one here. I'm having a little trouble with the slide change thing up here. There we go. What the Bible does not say. I'm doing a sermon, not a sermon series, a teaching series on that. Hashtag not in the Bible. Next slide. Let's read this out loud. One, two, three. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do you understand the difference between the slide I showed you, which people think is in the Bible, and this one? The other one said, give thanks for all things. This one says, give thanks. In... Do you see the difference? People, we don't give thanks for stomach cancer. We don't give thanks for a typhoon wiping out a village. We don't give thanks for those things. We lament those things. But we can be grateful in all circumstances. And that's what we're going to talk about today. The ability to know the difference between those things. And if we go to uh, the next slide here, I've got one of my favorite cartoon characters. There we go. Pepe Le Pew. Now, most of you are not old enough to know Pepe Le Pew. But he smells really bad. And he has an outrageous French accent. Sometimes life stinks. It just does. And we need to be honest about that. Being a Christian doesn't mean pretending that things are fine. One of the biggest lies we tell, we did a sermon on lies a couple weeks ago, and one of the most common lies is, I'm fine when you're not. In fact, you can say, I'm fine in such a way that you actually signal that you're not fine. That's the junior high girl uh, accent. I'm fine. You know, there's that kind of that kind of way of doing it. And so very often we need to look at life very clearly, look life in the face and say, listen, 
my finances aren't that good right now. My job, I'm in the wrong job. My vocation is not working out. My health, uh, my, my doctor just says that I've been diagnosed with this. And my relationships are all kind of messy. That's really the truth sometimes. And what we're going to talk about today is not being thankful for those things, but being thankful when those things happen, cultivating a thankful heart in difficult times when there is suffering going on. Now, those of you who have been with me for a while know that uh, anything in life can be described as a bowling alley. And this is really true, even though I'm a terrible bowler. Here's the challenges when we're facing a tough thing. When we're facing a difficult thing that is very real. Those four things I mentioned are perhaps something else. The left gutter ball is to be in denial. Oh, things aren't really that bad. Things are fine. I really have more money than the bank says I do. Uh, my blood work is really better than what the doctor says, and so on and so forth. That's being in denial. And being in denial doesn't mean you're faith-filled. Being in denial means you're in denial. You're not looking at, with clarity, what is going on. The right gutter ball is to get swallowed by your suffering and have it define who you are. I call that moving into the bitterness bungalow. You just move in and you make that your, your sort of home address. And everybody who knows you knows that that's where you live because that's all you talk about. That can happen quickly. What's the easiest thing to do in bowling? Gutter ball. You can do a gutter ball 100% of the time. It's so easy. And you're, let's say you've been throwing a left gutter ball your whole life. You've just been in denial. So now you're going to really take your suffering seriously. And what do you do? You throw a right gutter ball. I've corrected my left gutter ball. Yes, you have. But now you're in the right gutter. The art of life is keeping the ball on the wood and hitting a few pins. It's not about being perfect. It's about avoiding the gutters and putting a few points on the board. So what we want to do is we want to look at suffering clearly in the face and say, yes, this is happening to me right now. Not to be in denial, but also not letting it define us. Now, this is difficult when we help people, isn't it? Who here loves people and wants to help people once in a while? Raise your hands. If you didn't, we'll have a class for you afterwards for, for <laughs> grumpy people. When we help people who are genuinely going through something, who thinks that's hard? If it's very real what they're going through, it's very hard. And here's the difference between compassion and sympathy. Now, I'm over-defining these for the sake of illustration, but... The problem with sympathy, sympathos, is we feel what they're feeling. Now, if that person is in massive depression and grief, if you start feeling that, you're going to be no good to them. Compassion, on the other hand, means to understand their feeling and to be able to help them. And as we said in our Bible study prayer time this morning, getting it heard is a lot better than getting it said. Who thinks you can send Bible verses into a person suffering that won't be helpful sometimes? It is possible to do that. Uh, who has ever been told to buck up when you've been doing terribly and it doesn't help? Uh, all of you married couples are nudging each other right now. That's, that's how that works. We, I'm just trying to help. Well, it doesn't help. You know, it goes round and around and around. It's an art to help people who are suffering. It's really challenging. Oh, it's not that bad. Well, yeah, uh, my leg just fell off. It is pretty bad. There are things that are awful. And you have to acknowledge those things and still be willing to do something to try to 
bring that person out of the bitterness bungalow, which is where nobody wants to live. Who here has ever known somebody who set up residence in, in the bitterness bungalow and lives there decades on end? Yeah, there's no fun to be with. No fun to be with at all. And we don't want to be those people. And on the other hand, we don't want to deny the things that we're going through. The thing I like most about 12-step groups, and uh, I've been invited to 12-step groups for everything. I think everybody should be in recovery for something because they're so clear about things. And there's always a couple people in the group with BS detectors that are really good at telling people that, no, that's, uh, you're just telling it, you're not, you're, you're living in denial. Oh, I'm, I don't have a problem with this. I can quit tomorrow. Yeah, okay. Uh, let's talk about that. There's something about being honest. Being honest and believing in that higher power that we call Jesus. The next slide. This is the key verse I want to look at today. And I'd like to uh, read it out loud together. One, two, three. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Colossians 4.2. This should be a memory verse. This is, this is what my topic today is all about. Being alert means to be very clear about what's going on around you. When someone's alert, do you, have, do you guys have friends who are just super alert? They notice everything? Junior high kids are like that. They notice everything. They, 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 they see everything. They're embarrassed about everything. They notice everything. And they're just they're so aware. You remember when you were in junior high and you just noticed every little thing that was happening around you and how nerdy your parents were and everything else and uh, they didn't even notice? Yeah, th- th- there's that alertness. And that clear-eyedness. I've got a friend, BT, that I surf with sometimes, and he's got those astronaut eyes. Just, he's just like he sees everything around him. He sees things behind him. Uh, it's just amazing how alert he is. And alert is a really good thing to cultivate. Alert means being honest with what's happening around us, the good and the and the bad. What's really happening? A really stubborn mentality to go after the truth of what's really happening. Who thinks we can deceive ourselves from time to time? Rather than looking at how things really are. This is the way things are. And as my wife pointed out to me, as Wendy pointed out to me in the Bible study today, also being alert to your blessings when you're suffering. There's a lot of times we lose track of our blessings when we're in suffering. And we have to be alert to both. Just because we're in suffering doesn't mean we want to shut out those things which are... uh, Great blessings. Our mom said to us, count your blessings for a reason. It's a great life skill in difficult situations. Those of us living in Orange County complaining about our lives, holy smokes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the rest of the world would laugh at us, some of the things we look at. First world problems. I can't get Wi-Fi here. You know, just it's just it's, it's not that big a deal. The reception's terrible. I think I'll kill myself. You know, it's just... These are these are first world problems, and very often we need to keep those things in perspective. They can be very real, but we have to realize how good we have it to maybe look at our blessing. Look at this weather, seventy-five and sunny again. You know, I, when I lived in Minnesota, if it was seventy-five and sunny, people left work. They were gone. They just disappear. They're running around lakes being manic. You know, that's just what they they would do. We get that every day. Just think about that. I mean, look at the wind. If we had doors open in Minnesota like this with no screens, we'd be eaten alive by now. We'd have no blood left from the mosquitoes. They'd be in here. So we think about once in a while the good things, not saying that the bad things aren't there, but remember the good things also. 
and be alert and thankful. That's the key to hold those two in balance, alert and thankful. It doesn't mean we get rid of our alertness so we can be thankful. We want to be alert and thankful. And that's a balancing act. And it takes a long time to figure that out. Bitterness, living in the bitterness bungalow where we just let that define us. Bitterness, I love this quote, is a small crack in the windshield of your relationships. If you hold bitterness towards other people, it's a crack in that relationship. Who thinks people have ever gotten divorced without bitterness creeping in at the beginning? It's always a part of it. It's always a part of the recipe. I'm not saying, I'm not blaming anybody. I'm not coming down on you if you've gone through that. For goodness sake, it's awful. What I'm saying is, catch that right away. Bitterness means you're throwing a right gutter ball with that person. And you're not seeing the whole thing. You're not seeing the whole person. And yes, sometimes that person is a schmuck. But we'll go on uh, and uh, talk about something else. Here's... um. Check on your habits of the heart, of your heart. I believe that complaining, as opposed to being alert, there's a difference. Complaining can be a verbal habit. Who here knows people for whom that's just a habit? When something happens, they complain, uh, no matter what. No matter what, there's some kind of complaint. It's too hot, it's too cold, it's too something, it's too whatever. You You don't want to take those people on vacation. Because you take them on vacation and everything you're doing is awful and it's not the way it should be. Uh, It can be a habit to complain. And it doesn't mean you're more alert just because you're complaining. It's just a bad habit. And what's amazing is that your mind, this is what um, psychologists are finding out. They used to say when I was in college that by the time you're like five years old, everything in your brain is set and you're going to be that way the rest of your life. What they're finding out is it's not true. The mind is one of the most plastic things there is. You can change any habit. You can change any behavior. You can change, especially like a complaining kind of habit. You really can catch that. And you can make sure that that doesn't develop into something that's just metastasizing. And it can metastasize into the way you talk about everything. If you love someone who does this, pick a good time where they can hear you. And let them know. Friends don't let friends continue with that kind of habit decades and decades. It's important that we watch for those things. Do we default to the negative? Your mind is more plastic than we ever dreamt. One of the main life skills is called returning to joy. This is something we found in positive psychology. And positive psychology, by the way, you can take it at any community college now, and it's just Bible verses turned into a secular book. I mean, it's it's just basically, it's basically biblical wisdom. And returning to joy when you've got a bee sting in your life. And what I mean by a bee sting is when something happens and you just sting with it. You get criticized publicly. Something goes wrong. You look at, uh, you get some really bad news. The doctor sits you down and says, okay, I got something to tell you. And out it comes. Uh, you get that, st- who here's felt the bee sting in the last year where you just think, oof, that hurts. Those things are real, and we need to be alert to those things. The main life skill, emotionally, is to learn how to return to joy. How do I find my way back to joy? Because joy is the normal setting for your brain. God wired your brain so that joy would be your normal setting. 
That's how we're made. We're made to experience God and experience God's presence. And if we're not experiencing joy, we've forgotten how to return to joy. And sometimes we get stuck in that right gutter ball and just stay there. And it's so important that we learn skills for doing that. Uh, what I basically do is I just uh, I just hire my wife to do that. She can see me cycling down and she can catch me when I'm doing that. So I outsource my returning to joy. And she's really good at uh, really good at bringing me back quickly because she's learned to catch it before it gets really bad. And if you've got someone in your life like that, that's awesome. But we also need to learn how to do that ourselves. And to return to joy doesn't mean to be in denial. It means to return to your basic um, your basic setup, your default setting. God gave you a default setting of joy. If you don't believe that, look at kids. Kids are just, they just giggle and laugh about anything. And they're so happy to just, just see stuff and do stuff and put stuff in their mouths. And they're just, this, this is awesome. You know, I'm going to put my toe in my mouth for a while. This is, this is good. And they're just as happy as you getting chocolate at that point. I mean, it's, there's something about how we're made that's normal. And kids start crying and wailing, and what do we do? We help them return to joy. We, we comfort them. That's what parents do with infants. But we need to learn how to do that ourselves. So ask yourself, when you start to cycle down and you're throwing that right gutter ball, how am I going to return to joy? How, do, what, how am I best at doing that? There's lots of ways to do that. We're going to talk about that in the practicalities. Because we all are basically grape juice. Put the next one up, if you would. We're all basically grape juice. And we can become one of two things. This is uh, the most expensive bottle of wine I was able to find online. 950 euros, so that's like $1,200. This is Chateau Lafitte 1945. Now, we all start out as grape juice. You can either, either become fine wine when you grow up, or the next slide. You can become a vinegar valentine. Do you know that our great-grandparents our great used to send these to each other for fun? Uh, bitter, it was kind of a fad for a while. Uh, bitterness, was it called? The vinegar Valentines. There we are. And they were just hilarious. Look it up online sometime. Look up vinegar Valentines. They're just, this one here is, you are a nerve destroyer. And there's a little. <laughs> and they're funny because they're true. Because we know people who, who are like this. And so we start out as grape juice. You could either become expensive fine wine or you could become a vinegar valentine. I mean, it's your choice how you want to develop and cultivate over time. You want to be people who can return to joy. Deanna, I'm going to point you out over here. You've had some rough sledding, but you have the best laugh in the whole place. You're, you can, you're really good at returning to joy. You've somehow learned how to do that. And you were back there talking about some of your challenges in life a week or two ago, and all of a sudden I heard this, this, this laugh belting out across the thing. And you have the best laugh in the church. You really do. And you're able to do that because you're a person of faith and you've learned these things are real I'm going through, but I also am a person of joy. That's my default setting. And so we learn how to do those things as we age. Next slide. Some of you are not listening anymore. You're looking on your phones for Vinegar Valentines. I know. And, uh, <laughs> Thanksgiving is happening in heaven right now, and Jesus says, do things on earth as they are in heaven. So let's read this out loud together from Revelation 7, 12. One, two, three. They sang, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. Revelation 7, verse 12. And 
Thanksgiving is going on in heaven right now. And any time we return to joy and thankfulness in the midst of our problems, not denying them, we are connected with heaven because Thanksgiving is being sung all the time in heaven. It is the natural setting for the universe, for creation. And we're in tune with creation when we're grateful. When we're grateful and we're thankful and we're able able to cultivate that. Go to the next slide, if you would. This is really fun. We're going to do communion in just a second. And the Greek word for communion is Eucharist, which is fascinating. Eu means good. Charis means grace or gift. Eucharist is thanksgiving. And thanksgiving is what the ancient church called Holy Communion. It's the thanksgiving meal, which is really interesting. I looked up uh, this week, famous last meals on death row. And there's hilarious ones. There's people who like eat four pizzas and stuff like that just before they get executed, because why not? You know, you just you just you get to order whatever you want and off you go and they they execute you. This was Jesus' last meal. The Last Supper, we call it. He was on, where was he? Death row. He died the next day. This was his last meal. And his last meal, he started out with Thanksgiving. He gave thanks, took the bread, gave thanks, took the cup. And in the midst of it, not denying it, who thinks Jesus was quite aware of what was coming? Very alert. He was sweating blood at Gethsemane. The guy was alert, totally open and wide-eyed about what was happening. He had no illusions. He wasn't in denial, but he wasn't in the bitterness bungalow either. He was able to give thanks in the midst of his very real suffering, as real as it gets on this planet. He was able to remain thankful, and he's our example in that sense. Paris, kai irene, is how Paul starts almost all of his letters. Grace and peace. Grace and peace be unto you. Charis Kairene. Charis, he gives thanks. Paul lived a horrible life. Horrible life. Everywhere he went, he was getting stoned. And surviving a stoning is pretty cool. But on the other hand, you it's it's not one of those things you want to go through. Canings, whippings, shipwrecks. Went to Ephesus and a riot came against him. I mean, this is not a good career path. It really it's it's just nasty. And how does he start all of his letters? With thanksgiving. I give thanks for you every day, you Philippians. He had a little harder time giving thanks for the Corinthians. They were pretty dysfunctional, but he still did that even even if they did make fun of poor people while they were getting drunk at communion. That's a really, really dysfunctional church, if you think you went to a dysfunctional church. But anyways, Caris Kayarene, and he gave thanks for even the Corinthians. And they were a goofy church. He gave thanks for the Philippians because they were the nice, friendly church, but he gave thanks for all of them in the midst of all the things they were going through. Paul had every reason to live in the bitterness bungalow and never did. He, it's hard to, to read anything in Paul without running into thanksgiving. It really is because he's continually cultivating that in the midst of everything that's going on. Gracias in Spanish comes from the word caras. It's what you say when somebody does something nice for you. It's uh, something unearned. It's, it's, it's grace, literally. Graceful or gracious. My goal in life is that at my funeral, someone will be able to say honestly that he was very gracious and grace-oriented towards people and, and thankful for his life. That would be the best. I'm not there yet. But I would love to live... <laughs> Wendy thinks so. This, this is why you marry people like Wendy. But anyway, 
But to do things today that cultivate the kind of temperament where people will say that at your funeral. And a lot of people talk at California funerals. It doesn't happen in the rest of the country. The rest of the country, everyone wears black and they don't say much. But out here, people get up to the microphone and they say all kinds of things. I hope for all of us, they can say we were grace-filled, gracious people. That we were able to be grace under pressure. That we were able to be uh, kind, even when things were hard. Wouldn't that be the best thing somebody could say about us at a funeral? To cultivate what Jesus had, what Paul had, even if our life doesn't go that well. To be that kind of person takes steps today. Because there's a thousand steps between now and then that bring us to that place. So what can we do today to make that happen? Uh, this is a charismatic church. Why? What do we mean by that? Uh, Charis, we believe in spiritual gifts. We start our trustee meetings with a good chunk of time just listening for listening to God. We go into prophetic prayer. We believe that prophetic gifts are for today, that God talks to us. Oh, you hear voices from God? Yes, we do. It's in the Bible. Think about it. The whole Bible is written by people who heard God talk to them. It, that's normal. And we believe in healing. We believe in the kind of things that the Bible teaches. We believe that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in that case, we're a charis, grace, or gifts oriented church. We believe that God gives gifts today. He didn't stop giving those gifts when the apostles died. And so this, isn't this a beautiful word? the root charis and all the different permutations of it. This is what we want in our lives. I want more grace in my life. I want more of that in my life. I want more graciousness and thankfulness. We say thank you, gracias, to a Spanish speaker because that's gracious. <laughs> it just is to be gracious. Who knows non-gracious Christians? Is, is, is there anything less attractive? There's nothing less attractive than a non-gracious Christian. It's just like, ooh, just you really want to be around those people. Next one. Warning. The more advertising you look at, the more they will steal your contentment and the harder it will be to be thankful. Advertising, the main goal of advertising, well, there's good advertising too that gives you information, but the main goal of advertising is to make you uncontent, non-content. What's the word? Discontented. There we go. <laughs> I know there's a, a, a word there somewhere, but a lot of us, you know, you don't smell good, you don't look good, you don't whatever, and you need this. If you buy this, then people will love you. Oh, my goodness. You can go on YouTube and look at, like, ads from the 60s and 70s. It's hilarious how bad they make people feel. Just, you know, bad breath. Ah, everyone's running away. It's, they've got more subtle lately. But still, there's a lot of that stuff in advertising, isn't there? I mean, oh, be careful of that. Most advertising can steal your contentment and wreck your thanksgiving. Next one. Jesus on death row, on the night in which he was betrayed. And here's what he did. Let's go ahead. Next slide. There we go. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread. This is his last meal, by the way. And he knew it. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Next slide. Then he took a cup, and when he had, what? Given thanks. This is why we say grace before meals. We say what? Isn't it interesting we call it grace? From gracias, from thanks. 
we say grace before meals because it's important to be grateful. It's an opportunity every day, three times a day, to speak forth gratefulness. I remember when my faith first came alive, and I first started thinking, okay, now I need to pray at restaurants. Because my mom always told me, uh, we just say silent little prayers at restaurants. I said, okay. But once my faith sort of came alive, I said, I need to say thanks out loud at restaurants. And I started doing that. I would encourage you to do the same thing. I would encourage you to do the same thing. There's something about, even when you're eating by yourself at home, to speak out loud words of thanks for the food that God gave us. It keeps us in a thankful mode at least three times a day. It keeps us from going too far into the gutters. And we can at least be grateful once in a while, and that keeps us from going too far off. Next slide. This is something I picked up from John at our last breakfast. I always uh, take notes after John leaves because he always says smart stuff. And this is one of them. Suffering can harden our hearts to God's promises. It's just this is a great insight. We will have suffering, but we can't let it harden our hearts to the promises of God. Remember those four things? We talked about money. We talked about finance, money. We talked about health. We talked about vocation. We talked about relationships. Those things, those things can go wrong. They can go badly wrong, really badly wrong. And we can be suffering through those things. But God has promises for all four of those things. God has promises to provide for us. God has promises to guide us in our vocations. God has promises to, to heal us. God has all kinds of promises. And sometimes when we're in suffering, we can lose sight of the promises of God. So whatever suffering you're going through, search the scriptures for those promises that have to do with that kind of suffering. And if nothing else, speak them out. If nothing else, Speak them, give them words so that you can you can not lose touch with the promises that are there for whatever suffering you are going through. Next one. Beware of disaster porn. Oh, my goodness. This last three years have been nothing but disaster porn on the news. And they compete with each other to have the most disastrous stuff. You know, it's just, oh, my goodness. It's statistically, and you can look this up with uh, uh, with Steven Pinker and with Hans Rosling, the two big scientists on this who actually put together all of the statistics, there has never been a time, never, ever been a time that is less violent than right now. Never in human history. There's never been a time where you're less likely to be hurt by another person than right now. There's never been a time with more prosperity than right now. There's never been a time better for women and ever than right now. There's never been a time where more percentage of the people in the world can read than right now. There's never been a time where there's a less percentage of people in destitute poverty than right now. But if you watch the news, you think it's all going downhill. Why? Because it sells. If it bleeds, it leads. And we have to watch that. We have to watch that. It's really important that we not watch too much news. And a lot of it is just sensationalism. Oh, my goodness. And some of it you can't do much about. And nowadays, we're in contact with everybody, so we hear about everybody's disaster all over the place. And it really is a form of pornography. It's sometimes more addictive than sexual pornography. Who knows people that are addicted to the news and just watch the news all day long? I had a grandpa who lived by himself for much of his life at the end, and he got very bitter at the end because all he did was watch the news all day. 
And by the end of the day, I was just going, ooh, you know, and he was crabby about everything. Great guy. It was so sad to see that happen. So be careful about how much media you let in and just know ahead of time that it's going to be biased toward the negative. Look for news that talks about solutions, not that the problems aren't there. Who thinks the fires are very real in California right now? They're very real, but gravitate towards things that talk about solutions and work on those things instead. Go ahead and change that. Practicalities, be alert and grateful. Hold them in balance. Next one. Be aware of your verbal thought habits. Am I a complainer? Do I complain all the time? Is that just my normal way of being? Do I have a negative speech pattern? Number three, ask someone who loves you. This is a tough one. Ask someone who loves you and cares about you and has your back. Is there anything about me that is bitter? And would you help me root that out? Because a lot of our friends who love us are afraid to, to mention it to us. But if you give them permission, saying, I know you love me, I know you care about me, and I, I want to get this out of me. I want to get this little bitterness tumor out of me. Find someone you care about and ask, is there anything I'm bitter about? Because I don't want it to grow. I don't want to live in the bitterness bungalow. I don't want to be there. Uh, as Kim said in our prayer meeting this morning, it's okay to visit uh, grief once in a while, that room. It's okay to visit that room from time to time. Just don't make it your home address. Make sure it doesn't define you and it become your main narrative in life. Your main narrative needs to be joy or it won't line up with all of creation. Number four, appreciation memories notebook. Keep, this is one tool, everybody doesn't have to do it, but keeping a little notebook by your bed and writing things you're thankful for before you go to bed does affect your dreams, does affect how you think, does affect your subconscious, does affect your wiring. Garbage in, garbage out, good things in, good things out. Put good things into your brain before you go to bed. Uh, gratefulness, counting blessings. Next one. See the miracle of civilization. Uh, Phil Burtis, who some of you know, he's in our men's group. Uh, Phil Burtis and I are both working at Concordia University right now. I got him a, a position as a, a computer science professor, which is really kind of fun. And we had lunch last week. And he said, look at this place. And Concordia University is it's this gorgeously landscaped place. Just look at these young people. These people are making all kinds of food for them, whatever they want. The weather is perfect. Here they are. Uh, their, their parents have paid for them to come to this place. He says, why would young people in America ever protest? Now, there's things to protest about. But look at the blessings of our civilization. You can have food delivered to your house before you get there when you leave church. We have five million channels on TV. You can watch anything you want. People say, well, they don't make things like they used to. Who wants a car from the 70s? Well, I've got one. But, but um, <laughs> the, the things cars do nowadays, it's just amazing what they do. There's fantastic stuff going on. There is such a blessing in living in our civilization. So Phil was saying, just look at this, look at what these young people have here. This is fantastic. It's amazing. Or Phil Collins on Spotify, two Phils. Uh, that song where he says, think twice, it's another day for you and me in paradise. I mean, compared to the rest of the world, just think about the 
incredible blessing of living where we are. It's a huge blessing to be living where we're living and doing what we're doing. And count those blessings. Next one. Start your prayers with thanks. Paul's letters always start with thanks. If you start your prayers with thanksgiving, it's amazing what happens. Number seven. You're my funeral. What do I do now where people will say, I'm gracious, I'm grace-filled, I'm, I hold up well under pressure. I can return to joy quickly. I can encourage other people. What can we do today to move in that direction where we can be like Jesus, be like Paul, even when we're facing difficult things, we can still be gracious under all of those things. And count your blessings literally. Your mom would want you to do that. And all of our moms told us that, or most of our moms. Next slide. Last meals. Jesus had a last meal. And his last meal became known as the Thanksgiving. I hope that I can cultivate the kind of heart that would be grateful on death row. I'm never going to be on death row because I'm just too boring. I, I can't even imagine doing something that bad. But, but cultivating the kind of heart that would really be there at that place, I mean, that's where it gets proven that you're truly a grateful person, that you're truly in line with the Lord. Go ahead and change that. This is just a fantastic verse. Paul, when he's good, is very, very, very good. Let's read this out loud together. One, two, three. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Does it say for every situation? In every situation. And start your prayers with thanks. It's amazing if you start with a list of thanks, then you start asking God for things, how we're in the right frame of mind to pick up what we need to pick up. Second part of the verse is great too. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Who doesn't want that? We all want that. So, the main theme for today is be grateful in spite of your suffering. And next week, we're going to be looking at the book of Lamentation. Thus ends the series. I'm going to invite the worship team up here, and they're going to sing us a song and bring us into a, a grateful place. And then Pastor Tamara is going to lead us in the Thanksgiving, the meal of Thanksgiving. I would like to invite you, when you take communion today, to think of it as a time to remember and count your blessings and to ask the Lord to cultivate a grateful heart within you. Jesus says, this is my body, this is my blood. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from everything. And his body, he literally says, take this into you. Think of that as planting a seed of gratefulness inside of your very self and praying for that seed of gratefulness to grow inside of you. And commit, as you take communion, to becoming a more grateful and thankful person. And the Lord will keep his promises to do that. The Lord wants us to be joyful. The Lord created us to be joyful. Whenever you're really feeling true joy in life, you feel like 
the wheels are tracking, that things are going well, that things, this is the way I'm supposed to be. This is how God made me to be. We've all felt that way when we're feeling joy. And that's what we want to be able to return to. And communion was something he gave us to help us to return to joy. Let's pray. Lord, I just pray a blessing on us as we lower our defenses and just let the words of these of this music kind of um, soak into us. And we pray that you prepare our hearts, Lord, for the great thanksgiving, which your son gave to us in the bread and the cup. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let it go and 
trusting when I cannot see. I am counting every blessing, counting every blessing. Surely every season you are good to me. I am counting every blessing, counting every blessing. Letting go and trusting when I cannot see. I am counting every blessing. good to us. Sometimes we forget that when we're going through all of our stuff. Um, I actually had this conversation with my brother Gary. Uh, My older brother Gary uh, is 10 years older than I am and at the end of December was diagnosed with a glioblastoma. And if you don't know what that is, it's brain cancer. It is the worst kind of cancer you could ever have. And um, When he went into his first surgery, he had this attitude of, okay, the doctor said this, this is going to happen, and this is, we're just going to do it. And he, has, he knew he had a lot to live for. His children, his two girls and their husbands, and his four granddaughters. And in February, he had his first grandson. And he just... He he bombed it. I mean, he just was the bomb during it because, I mean, he complained. We all complain. Um, but because he had so many appointments and radiation every day and all this after surgery. But he did better than anyone ever expected. And then in, um, gosh, about two months ago, we had to have a second surgery. And we were all so thankful because it wasn't cancer. It was scar tissue in the same spot. And the doctor said, the cancer's dead. As far as I'm concerned, the cancer's dead. And we were so thankful. But a bomb got dropped on him because after the second surgery, he's had so much swelling that the tumor is on the right side of his head. His left side doesn't work. I mean, it works. He can move. It's really weird. He can move his arm, but he has no feeling in his foot or his hand, so he can't pick things up. And he has a hard time walking. And the doctor told him, it's it's like a setback, but he goes, in a year you're going to look back on this time and laugh because you're going to get well. It's going to take time. It's going to take six, nine months, maybe a year. He's going, you should get 
if not most of it back, if not all. But he's been bitter about this. This is so frustrating for him because he's so much like my dad that, for those of you who knew about my dad, um, he wants to go. He's not a sitter. And he doesn't want people's help. And his my sister-in-law has had to help him a lot. Um, he's getting better to where he's not needing as much assistance. But it was hard because he's left-handed. So he's had to learn how to eat with his right hand, brush his teeth with his right hand, dress with only one hand, which his wife has to help him. And so, you know, I said, Gary, I said, now you have to know he's not a Christian. I can't say he's not a Christian anymore. He's not a Christian. He wasn't a Christian. But over the last three years, God has been doing something in his life. And it started with a little baby being born premature. And so God's been answering his prayers. And when he told me that God answered his prayers, I was like, you prayed? I mean, that was my response. He goes, yes, but God listened to me. And I said, I know, he does. He will listen to you. So we've had these long conversations over the last few years. And I just saw him last week, and he said, you know, when I was in the hospital, I don't, I know you'll, this was his words, I know you'll appreciate this. Okay. Because Kelly did, that's his son-in-law. Kelly appreciated this, and I know you'll appreciate this. And he couldn't even get through this without crying. He says, you know, I was sitting in the hospital bed, and for him to go home, he had to be able to walk the floor when the physical therapist came, and he couldn't before he went in. And he said, I sat in bed, and I just said, you know, I want to go home, but I can't do this by myself. And he said, all of a sudden, I said, he said, I heard, I got this. He goes, I heard his voice. He said, I got this. And he said, and my sister-in-law piped in. He goes, and he did. You walked the whole floor. You got to come home. And so it was a reminder to him. I said, Gary, God's got all of this. I know it's frustrating. I know you, you're bitter right now. He's really bitter. Um, but he's getting better. He's not living in the bitterness as much anymore. Um, he's going, God's got this. Be thankful. I go, look at all the good things God has given you. And he goes, I know, I know. But I want to walk and do all my things now. And I said, I know, I know, I know. He's not a patient man. And I was texting him and I said, hey, you're texting again. He couldn't text. And he goes, yeah, it's hard. And I go, maybe God, I think, is trying to teach you patience during this time. And he says, I don't know if he's um, teaching me or testing me. And I said, Oh, let's go with test or teaching because you don't have any patience to test. So that was our joke. So I had to let do one funny. But all this to say that my brother is in the worst of times right now. I mean, he's in a pretty bad place, but he's looking at being thankful. Um, and I'm so thankful that God is working on him. I mean, this has been a prayer for years and years and years and years because his heart was, heart was pretty hard to God. And, um, one of the things I do and I told my brother to do is I said, even when you're not thankful, just thank God for stuff. I mean, thank God for the roof over your head. Thank God you've got clothes. Thank God for the sky, for the moon, the stars, for your friends, for your family. Thank God for the food on your plate. Thank God for the flowers. 
thank God for anything and your heart will change and you'll start being thankful even if you weren't before um, I know I've, that's worked for me many times um, even in the most darkest hours I just started thanking him and my thankfulness wasn't pure and loving thank you Lord for this house I mean I was mad I was angry but guess what my heart changed within about 10 minutes of thanking him and then I was really thankful for all the things that he has given me so today we're going to be having communion I am so thankful for what Christ did on the cross for us because we get to be here we get to live in freedom we get to have answered prayers and healings. So grab your communion cup. We are going to start doing regular communion without this to-go stuff, but this week we're doing this for the last time. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was sitting with his disciples, his friends, sitting back, and he picked up the cup and he said, or no, the bread, I'm sorry, the bread, and he said, this is my body. Eat it in remembrance of me. Go ahead and take that. And after supper, he took his wine goblet. And he said, this is my body. The body that's going to be broken this is my, I mean, my blood that's going to be shed for you to wipe away your sins so that you can live in freedom. And he said, drink this in remembrance of me. Jesus was so thankful for his friends and for what God had done in his life and through his life that he could go to the cross for each one of us with joy and with thanksgiving and with faith and hope because he knew what the outcome was going to be. And that's what he wants for us, is to go out every day with trusting him, with hope and with faith, knowing that our outcome is to be with him forever and ever. It may look kind of scary and horrible in this world today, but don't concentrate on that. Concentrate on what Christ has done for us. Because we have the hope of the cross. That's where our hope lies. We have faith that God will come again. That God will save us. That God will be with us. That God will protect us. Thank you, Lord, for that. Let's pray. Father God, we're just so thankful for all the things in our lives. Lord, I know times are tough. And Lord, forgive us for any bitterness that we have. Forgive us for any um, for not being grateful. Forgive us for living in our bitter bungalow and sending out vinegar valentines. Lord, help us to be like fine wine. Help us to flourish. Help us to have faith. Help us. Help us to live in hope and trust. Help us, Lord, to be joyful and thankful, gracious in all we do. Thank you, Lord, for your son. 
for his sacrifice and for your love for each one of us. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a blessed week, everyone. Go and be gracious and love life, and we'll see you next week.